Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. The Weeping Woman. La Llorona. Please pardon the pronunciation. La Llorona has been part of Hispanic culture since the conquistador days. The tall, thin spirit is said to be blessed with natural beauty and long, flowing black hair. She wears a white gown and roams the rivers and creeks, wailing into the night, searching for children to drag screaming to a watery grave. No one really knows where the legend of La Llorona began. Though tales vary from source to source, the common thread is that the spirit is a doomed mother who drowned her children and spends eternity searching for them in rivers and lakes. One legend christens the sweeping woman as a woman named Maria, who was born to a peasant family in a humble village. Her startling beauty captured the attention of the area's rich and poor men alike. She was said to have spent her days in her humble peasant surroundings but she would don her best white gown in the evenings and thrill men who admired her in local fandangos. The young man anxiously waited for her arrival, and she reveled in the attention that she received. However, La Llorona had two small sons who made it difficult for her to spend her evenings out. She often left them alone when she cavorted with the gentleman during the evening. One day, the two small boys were found drowned in the river. Some say they drowned through her neglect, but others say that they may have died by her own hand. Another legend says that she was a caring woman, full of life and love, who married a wealthy man who lavished her with gifts and attention. However, after she bore him two sons, he changed. Typical. Returning to a life of womanizing and alcohol, often leaving her for months at a time. He seemingly no longer cared for the beautiful Maria. Even talking about leaving her to marry a woman of his own wealthy class. When he did return home, it was only to visit his children, and the devastated Maria began to feel resentment toward the boys. One evening, as Maria was strolling with her two children on a shady pathway near a river, her husband came by in a carriage with an elegant lady beside him. He stopped and spoke to his children, but ignored Maria and then drove the carriage down the road without looking back. After seeing this, Maria went into a terrible rage and turned against her children. She seized them and threw them into the river. As they disappeared downstream, she realized what she had done and ran down the bank to save them, but it was too late. Maria broke down into inconsolable grief, running down the streets screaming and wailing. The beautiful La Llorona mourned them day and night. During this time, she would not eat, and walked along the river in her white gown searching for her boys, hoping that they would return to her. She cried endlessly as she roamed the riverbanks and her gown became soiled and torn. When she refused to eat, she grew thinner and appeared taller until she looked like she was a walking skeleton. Still a young woman, she finally died on the riverbank. Not long after her death, her restless spirit began to appear, 
walking the banks of the Santa Fe River when darkness fell. Her weeping and wailing became a curse of the night, and people began to be afraid to go out after dark. She was said to have been seen drifting between the trees along the shoreline, or floating on the current with her long white gown spread out upon the water. On many dark nights, people would see her walking along the riverbank and crying for her children. And so, they no longer spoke to her as Maria, but as La Llorona, the weeping woman. Children are warned to not go out after dark, for La Llorona might snatch them, throwing them to their deaths into the flowing waters. Though the legends vary, the apparition is said to act without hesitation or mercy. The tales of her cruelty depend upon the version of the legend you hear. Some say that she kills indiscriminately, taking men, women, and children, whoever is foolish enough to get close to her. Others say she's very barbaric and kills only children, dragging them screaming to a watery grave. When Patricio Lugan was a young boy, he and his family saw her on the creek between Mora and Guadalupita, New Mexico. As the family was sitting outside talking, they saw a tall, thin woman walking along the creek. She seemed to float over the water, started up the hill and vanished. However, moments later, she reappeared much closer to them and then disappeared again. The family looked for footprints and after finding none, they had no doubt that the woman they had seen was La Llorona. She has been spotted along many rivers across the Southwest and the legend has become part of Hispanic culture everywhere. Part of the legend is that those who do not treat their families well will see her, and she will teach them a lesson. In Santa Fe, New Mexico, the tall, wailing spirit has reportedly been seen at the Perra Building, the Public Employees Retirement Association. It was built on land that was once an old Spanish Indian graveyard near the Santa Fe River. Many people who have been employed there tell of hearing cries resounding through the halls and feeling unseen hands pushing them while on stairways. La Llorona has been heard at night wailing next to rivers by many, and her wanderings have grown wider, following Hispanic people wherever they go. Her movements have been traced throughout the southwest and as far north as Montana on the banks of the Yellowstone River. Hispanic people believe that the weeping woman will always be with them, following the many rivers looking for her children. This legend has been passed down from generation to generation. So if there's a reason why you feel a little uneasy in the dark by a body of water, now you know why. Hey folks, this obviously is not Indiana. This is not a state that's following the path of the state-by-state -state alphabetical rule that I imposed on myself this year. Um, I'm doing that because, uh, well... I have a story that I want to tell. It's a story I've been working on for a long time, and it's finally done, and I want you guys to hear it. And it has, you know, something to do with the weeping woman and La Llorona folklore. You know, like a majority of my stories all start inspired by some folklore, and this is uh, one of them. I'd also like to give a shout to my newest patrons, Elizabeth, Christy, Linda, Irene, Michelle, Lana. If I'm not sure if I missed you already or if I gave you a shout already, but regardless, it doesn't matter. Thank you for joining, and uh, you guys are the best. If you want to join the Patreon, patreon.com slash hauntedamericanhistory. And uh, thanks for everything you guys do to support the show. 
from the reviews to the shares to the emails you send me. Just really, really appreciate it from top to bottom. Thank you all so much. Hey, folks. I've got a nice little factoid for you guys. Do you know that one in five Americans have learned a new language on their bucket lists? If that's you, which odds are one in five, make 2024 the year you finally check it off the list with Babbel. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. And if you struggle with pronunciation, like old Chrissy over here, Babbel will work miracles. Head on over to babbel.com slash haunted for a special deal for my listeners. Right now, you can get 55% off your Babbel subscription. But that's only for my listeners at babbel.com slash haunted. That's B-A-B. B-E-L dot com slash haunted. Rules and restrictions may apply. This is an old town. Like most coastal places, it's seen its fair share of weather. And I don't just mean the change of seasons kind. Sea air can wreak havoc on things. This section is close to the beach, so it's still pretty nice. The locals would call it the nicer part of town. I'll say, when you can rent your house in the neighborhood north of $25,000 for a month during the summer, you're doing something right. Those aren't the people I'm talking about, though. Those kind of locals don't rent out their houses. They stay year-round and save that for the doctors and lawyers from the city who come down for a week during the summer, usually 4th of July, when the boat show is in town and the fireworks are going off nightly. You should see this place during the summer. It's wall-to-wall people. So much so that local PD puts a vehicle ban between sunup and sundown on the street that runs parallel to the ocean. Families walking hand in hand and riding bikes. It's part of the reason Brian Scott decided to retire here. But now in early October, the place he calls home is a stark difference from when he used to come visit with his family during summer break. It was those trips during the summer and the families walking together that has him outside this hour running through the streets. He's a grandfather now. On his 58th birthday, he decided that enough was enough. He decided that it was time to get his life together and to be an active grandfather. He didn't want to sit on the sidelines and watch. He wanted to play. He was looking forward to summer, taking his grandson on the boardwalk rides. He'd be damned if he was going to sit and watch that cute little boy go round and round on that little fire truck without grandpa sitting next to him ringing the bell. For the last 10 months, Brian's been watching his diet carefully. Oatmeal and a banana for breakfast, protein shake for lunch, and vegetables and a lean meat for dinner. On occasion, he would still have some ice cream. Rocky Road. Gotta have a little joy in your life. Guy's not a sadist. Since starting his routine, he's gone down eight pant sizes and lost 65 pounds. He was taking off his blood pressure medicine and his blood sugars returned to normal. No more pre-diabetes. Too bad he won't live long enough to enjoy it. His pre-dawn run was cut short. He heard her cries before he saw her. And the moment their eyes met, it was too late. His body was never found. 
The chilly sea breeze whipped through my hair as Mike and I drove into Driftwood Bay, a quaint coastal town known for its cobblestone streets and Victorian architecture. A sense of unease hung heavy in the air, the gloomy atmosphere only accentuated by the dark storm clouds gathering overhead. The abandoned lighthouse, once a beacon of hope for sailors, now loomed ominously over the town, casting a long shadow across the rocky coastline. Mike and I were on a road trip, looking to escape the mundane routines of our everyday lives. But as we entered Driftwood Bay, I couldn't help but feel a shiver run down my spine, as if something sinister was lurking beneath the town's picturesque surface. Our troubles began when our car sputtered and died, stranding us in the off-season. We exchanged worried glances, suddenly aware of the desolate streets, boarded-up shops, and creeping fog that swirled around us. Desperation gnawed at our nerves as we began to search for shelter, clutching each other's hands for comfort. Every step we took was met with an unsettling silence. The only sounds were our footsteps echoing on the cobblestones and the distant crash of waves off the shore. Shadows stretched and contorted across the deserted lanes, their shapes morphing into sinister figures in the corners of my eyes. Each time I tried to focus on them, they vanished like wisps of smoke, leaving me with a growing dread. As we wandered further into town, the storm clouds above began to converge as they conspired against us. A few fat raindrops splattered against the pavement, threatening to unleash a torrential downpour at any moment. Desperation gnawed at our nerves as we searched for any sign of life, our earlier excitement replaced by a suffocating fear. A sudden gust of wind tore through the streets, sending a shiver through my body. I wrapped my arms around myself trying to ward off the cold that seemed to seep into my very bones. Mike pulled me closer, his grip tightening as we continued our desperate search for shelter. With each passing moment, the atmosphere grew thicker, the darkness encroaching upon us like an unseen predator. The weight of the town's secrets bore down on my chest, suffocating me with each breath that I took. Then we stumbled upon an old, ivy-covered building near the shoreline. A faded sign hung precariously above the door, creaking in the wind, its letters barely legible. The Shrouded Lighthouse, Maritime Museum and Inn. As we stood before this strange bed and breakfast, I took a moment to absorb the peculiar sight before us. The building seemed to lean slightly to one side, as if worn down by time and the relentless ocean winds. Chipped paint and ivy covered its walls a testament to its age and neglect. Its location near the shoreline only added to the eerie atmosphere, the crashing waves a constant reminder of nature's indifference to our plight. The faded sign swaying in the wind creaked in protest, its letters barely legible. I couldn't help but wonder how long it had been since this place had welcomed any guests. Yet, in our desperation, we had little choice but to seek refuge within its walls. With a deep breath, I hesitantly raised my hand and knocked on the door. The sound echoed through the empty streets. For a moment, it seemed as if our efforts were in vain, but then the door creaked open, revealing a gaunt man with sunken eyes and a nervous demeanor. He introduced himself as Roland, the innkeeper. His appearance was startling, a living embodiment of the haunted atmosphere that clung to this town like a shroud. His fingers trembled as he looked us up and down, 
sizing us up like prey. My heart raced and I glanced at Mike, who offered me a reassuring hand squeeze. Roland hesitated, his eyes darting between us and the encroaching darkness outside. With a resigned sigh, he finally agreed to let us stay, his voice carrying a weight that sent shivers down my spine. He seemed to be dreading something, as if the approaching night held some terrible secret. As we crossed the threshold, I noticed the dimly lit interior of the inn was suffused with an unsettling atmosphere. Maritime relics, covered in a layer of dust, were scattered about the place, and dusty book-lined shelves along the walls. The lingering scent of mildew filled the air, only adding to the unease that had settled over us. As Mike and I explored the inn further, we noticed the heavy, moth-eaten drapes that covered the windows, nailed tightly to the walls. It's as if someone had gone to great lengths to ensure that no light from the outside world could penetrate this inn's gloomy interior. The more time we spent in this place, the more oppressive it felt, as if the air was thick with secrets and sorrow. In the main room, an ominous, aged portrait of a beautiful, mournful woman caught our attention. Her flowing raven hair framed a face that seemed to be etched with profound grief, and her eyes, a deep, haunting shade of blue, seemed almost alive. It was as though she was trying to communicate with us, her gaze pleading for help and understanding. The woman in the portrait wore an exquisite yet tattered gown from a bygone era. The intricate lacework, the embroidery hinting at a life of wealth and privilege. A delicate string of pearls adorned her neck, their lustrous sheen dulled by the passage of time. Despite the evident signs of decay, there was an undeniable air of nobility and grace about her. I found myself drawn to this portrait as if this woman's spirit beckoned me closer. Her eyes seemed to follow us as we moved about the room, a silent witness to the pain and suffering she had endured. The longer I stared into those eyes, the more I felt a connection to her. I shared a sense of loss and heartache that was both comforting and disquieting. The mysterious, mournful woman seemed to hold the key to secrets that lay within this inn and perhaps even to the dark history of Driftwood Bay itself. As Mike and I continued to explore our temporary refuge, we couldn't shake the feeling that we were being watched, that the woman in the portrait was somehow guiding us toward the truth. After a long and tiring journey, we fell asleep in no time, but in the dead of night, I was jolted awake by the gut-wrenching sound of a woman's scream echoing through the inn. My heart raced, and my breath caught in my throat as the cries continued, piercing the darkness like a knife. I glanced at Mike, who was wide awake, fear etched across his face. Outside, the wind howled and leaves rustled against the window panes, adding to the ominous atmosphere. The heavy drapes prevented any glimpse of the source of the screams, leaving us with no choice but to listen helplessly. The eerie cries were filled with pain and terror, and they seemed to resonate deep within me, awakening memories of my own past sufferings. Holding each other tight, Mike and I strained our ears, trying to make sense of the haunting sounds that filled the night. The more we listened, the more we became convinced that the screams were not merely the product of the wind or some wild animal. They carried an unmistakable human quality, the agonized expression of a tortured soul. As the screams slowly faded into the night, a thick silence enveloped the inn. It was as if the very air was holding its breath, unwilling to release the tension that had settled over us. 
We lay there, hearts pounding, our minds racing with questions about the source of that terrifying sound. Unable to sleep, Mike and I whispered in hushed tones, our voices barely audible over the restless wind outside. As the hours passed, the darkness began to give way to the faintest hint of dawn. We clung to each other, seeking comfort in the warmth of our embrace. The following morning, still shaking by the harrowing events of the night, Mike and I sought out Roland to confront him about the incident. The innkeeper's face paled as we recounted the screams we had heard, his eyes darting nervously around the room as though searching for an escape. It was clear that he was hiding something, but we were determined to uncover the truth. Attempting to maintain a veneer of composure, Roland dismissed our concerns, insisting that the sounds we had heard were nothing more than howling wind playing tricks on our imagination. His voice wavered, and beads of sweat formed on his brow as he spoke. His words did little to reassure us and, if anything, only fueled our suspicions further. Unwilling to accept his explanation, Mike and I decided to investigate the matter ourselves. We couldn't shake the feeling that the screams were connected to the mournful woman in the portrait and that the end held secrets that were desperate to be uncovered. The more we thought about it, the more we felt compelled to dig deeper, despite the growing sense of dread that gnawed at the edges of our mind. Throughout the day, we covertly explored the inn, our eyes and ears attuned to any clues that might reveal the truth behind the haunting cries. We discovered that the building was filled with hidden nooks and crannies, each one holding its own dark secrets. The air was thick with the weight of untold stories, and we couldn't help but feel that we were being watched, guided by some unseen force towards a chilling revelation. As the day wore on, our anxiety intensified, and we found ourselves glancing over our shoulders, feeling as though an invisible presence was following us. The inn seemed to have taken on a life of itself, the walls whispering with the echoes of the past. We knew that the truth might be more terrifying than we could have ever imagined. The sense of dread that hung over us grew even more oppressive, casting a pall over our every thought and action. And yet, despite our growing unease, we were unable to turn back, driven by an insatiable desire to uncover the mystery that lay at the heart of the Shrouded Lighthouse Inn. We had no idea what horrors awaited us, but we knew we could not rest until the truth was revealed. As night fell once more over the inn, Mike and I were consumed by a growing sense of unease. The memory of the previous night's haunting scream still fresh in our minds. We barely spoke. The tension between us was palpable as we waited in our room for the darkness to give way to whatever horrors it concealed. And then, just as we had feared, the screams returned. They were more desperate and tormented than before, filling the air with an eerie sense of urgency that sent a shiver down my spine. Mike and I exchanged a look, our eyes wide with terror, but also with a shared understanding that we could no longer ignore the truth that lay before us. Driven by a mixture of fear and curiosity, Mike approached the window, his hands trembling as he reached for the heavy drapes. With a sudden burst of determination, he pried them open, allowing the pale moonlight to spill into the room and reveal the ghostly figure of a woman standing still in the moonlit street. The figure was a heartbreaking sight. Her once beautiful face was now gaunt and hollow, her sunken eyes filled with an indescribable sadness. It's as though her spirit has been trapped in a state of eternal suffering, unable to find peace even at death. At that moment, I knew this was the mournful woman from the portrait, her soul bound to the end by some cruel twist of fate. 
As Mike's gaze met the woman's spirit, it seemed as though time itself stood still. The air was charged with otherworldly energy, and a chilling silence fell over the room, punctuated only by the sound of our ragged breaths. And then, without warning, the ghostly figure darted toward the end with a supernatural speed, her movements a blur as she drew even closer. Our hearts raced. The panic coursed through our veins as we watched this ghostly apparition approach. We knew that we were witnessing something that defied all reason, and yet we were powerless to look away. Our minds struggled to comprehend the terrifying scene that was unfolding before our eyes. As the woman's spirit drew near, we realized that we were now standing at a crossroads, our lives forever changed by the chilling events of the past two nights. In a frenzy of fear, Mike and I rushed to barricade ourselves in the room, piling furniture against the door in a futile attempt to keep the woman's spirit at bay. Our hearts pounded in our chests, the adrenaline coursing through our veins as we listened to the sound of her footsteps drawing nearer. We could hear the door creaking under the strain as she tried to break through the inn's defenses, her wails echoing through the darkened hallway. And then, just as suddenly as they had begun, the wail ceased. In their place, we heard the unmistakable sound of sobs, the gut-wrenching cries of a soul in anguish. As we listened to the spirit's lament, something inside me stirred a deep sense of empathy and understanding that I could not ignore. I felt a connection to her at that moment, a shared pain that transcended the boundaries of life and death. Despite Mike's protests, I carefully moved the furniture away from the door, my hand shaking as I reached for the handle. I took a deep breath, bracing myself for whatever horrors awaited me on the other side, and cautiously opened the door. There she stood, the woman's spirit from the portrait, her tear-streaked face a mirror of the suffering etched upon her soul. The air around her cracked with a strange, otherworldly energy. And yet, as I looked into her eyes, I saw a flicker of humanity that I could not ignore. Her gaze held mine, and in that instant, a silent understanding passed between us. Summoning all the courage I could muster, I stepped forward and spoke to her. Why are you here? What is it that you want from us? For a moment, there was only silence. The stillness of the night punctuated only by the sound of our breath. And then, as if in response to my words, the woman's spirit sobs began to subside. She looked at me, her eyes filled with a sadness so profound that it threatened to break my heart, and then she turned and began to walk away, her movements slow and deliberate. It was clear that she wanted us to follow her, to bear witness to the secrets that lay hidden in the shadows of the shrouded lighthouse inn. And so, with a mix of trepidation and determination, Mike and I stepped into the darkness, our fates forever intertwined with this woman's spirit who had led us to this moment. As we followed her into the night, I couldn't help but wonder what mysteries awaited us at the end of this journey. What truths would be revealed, and at what cost? As the ghostly figure guided us toward our destiny, I knew that we would soon find the answers to these questions, whether we were prepared to face them or not. Under the spirit's guidance, we found ourselves venturing further from the inn, followed by the rugged shoreline as the waves crashed against the rocks below. The air grew colder, biting at our skin, and the wind whipped around us as we stumbled along the jagged path. All the while, the woman's spirit moved silently ahead, her ethereal presence beckoning us onward. After what felt like an eternity, we arrived at the entrance to a hidden cave, 
its dark, gaping maw inviting us into its depths. The woman's spirit paused for a moment, her eyes meeting mine as if seeking approval or understanding before she led us inside. With a deep breath, we crossed the threshold, leaving the moonlit world behind and descending into darkness. As we ventured deeper into the cave, the air grew colder still, and an icy chill seemed to seep into our very bones. The stench of decay and seaweed filled our nostrils, a nauseating reminder that we were no longer in the realm of the living. The cave seemed to close in around us, the darkness pressing in like a physical force. Suddenly, the spirit came to a halt, her transparent form wavering in the dim light that filtered through the cave's entrance. Mike and I exchanged uneasy glances, our breath coming in as shallow gasps as we tried to prepare ourselves for whatever lay ahead. And then we saw it. There, in the darkest recesses of a cave, was a decomposing body, entangled in a twisted mass of seaweed and bound by rusted chains. The sight was almost too much to bear. I felt bile rising in my throat as the full horror of her fate became clear. Her lifeless eyes staring out at us, a silent plea from release from her eternal torment. Mike and I stood there, our hearts pounding in our chest as we took in the tragic scene before us. The woman's fate was a testament to the cruelty and fear that had once gripped Driftwood Bay, and we knew that we had to do something to help her find the peace that she so desperately deserved. With a heavy heart, I reached out and touched the rusted chains, feeling the cold metal against my skin. It was a chilling reminder of the terrible injustice she had suffered. And as we stood there, surrounded by darkness and the stench of decay, I couldn't help but feel a deep sense of sorrow for the woman whose spirit had been trapped in this cave for so long. As the spirit hovered in front of us, I sensed her sadness and pain. Sorrow seemed to emanate from her very being, filling the air around us with a tangible heaviness. She looked at us with pleading eyes, desperate to share her story. And so we listened. The spirit was once the lighthouse keeper's wife, a woman of grace and beauty who the superstitious townsfolk of Driftwood Bay had tragically misunderstood. They had accused her of witchcraft, their fear and ignorance driving them to commit a heinous act. She was bound in chains and drowned in the cold, merciless sea, her life stolen from her in the most cruel and unjust manner. Her spirit, trapped in torment, was unable to find peace. The truth of her innocence remained buried, just like her body in the hidden cave. She longed for justice, for the truth to be revealed so that her soul could finally be free of pain and sorrow that haunted her for so, so long. As I listened to her story, my heart ached for the woman who had been so cruelly betrayed. I could feel her anguish and desperate need for someone to understand her plight and help her find the peace she deserved. Her fate was unbearable and I know that I just had to do something to help her. I turned to Mike, and without hesitation, he agreed. We would help the spirit of the lighthouse keeper's wife, bring the truth of her innocence to light, and ensure that she received the justice she had been denied. We vowed to do whatever it took to lay her soul to rest, and in doing so, bring some measure of healing to the dark history of Driftwood Bay. As we made our way back to the inn, guided by the spirit's presence, I could feel a renewed sense of purpose coursing through my veins. We were embarking on a quest for justice, a journey that would not only bring peace to this restless soul, but also reveal the sinister secrets that lay hidden beneath Driftwood Bay's surface. The night was still, 
and the moon cast its pale light upon the rocky shore as we retraced our steps to the inn. The spirit's presence seemed to grow stronger, as if she was drawing strength from our determination to see her story finally told. With each step, I felt an ever-growing bond with the woman whose life had been cut short by fear and superstition. With determination burning in our hearts, Mike and I reported our chilling discoveries to the local authorities. We were met with initial skepticism, their expressions revealing their doubts about our claims. However, the weight of the evidence we presented, including the spirit's decomposing body and historical records that supported the tragic story, began to erode their skepticism. Reluctantly, they agreed to investigate further, recognizing the need to confront the dark past that had plagued Driftwood Bay. The exhumation of the spirit's body confirmed our uncovered truth, revealing the depths of the town's sins and the innocence that had been wrongfully extinguished. The truth had been laid bare, and with it came the newfound understanding of the town's dark history. As words sped throughout Driftwood Bay, the townspeople were faced with the harsh reality of their ancestors' deeds. Shame and remorse washed over them, but they also recognized the opportunity for redemption. The community rallied together, setting aside their differences to ensure that the spirit received the proper burial she had been denied for so long. On a solemn day, the townspeople gathered at the gravesite, paying their respects to the lighthouse keeper's wife and acknowledging the injustice inflicted upon her. It was a somber moment, a collective reckoning with the past and a commitment to forge a different future. As the spirit's soul finally found peace, a remarkable transformation unfolded before our eyes. The once abandoned lighthouse, which had stood as a symbol of darkness and despair, suddenly burst to life. Its beacon, now restored and shining brightly, cast a warm and comforting glow along the rocky shores of Driftwood Bay. The lighthouse became a beacon of hope, a guiding light that illuminated the path toward redemption and healing. Once shrouded in fear and secrets, the town began to shed its cloak of darkness. It was as if the spirit's liberation had set in motion a chain reaction leading to the gradual renewal of Driftwood Bay. Roland, the innkeeper who had guarded his secrets, was also transformed. He embraced the spirit's story as a catalyst for change, recognizing the power of compassion and justice. Once a place of eerie silence, the inn was now revitalized, welcoming weary travelers seeking solace. The portrait of the lighthouse keeper's wife, once a haunting reminder of her suffering, now served as a testament to the resilience of the human spirit and the triumph of justice. Driftwood Bay emerged from the shadows, its scars healed but not forgotten. The town had learned from its past, embracing a new narrative built on empathy, understanding, and acceptance. The spirit's story had become a cautionary tale, a reminder of the consequences of prejudice and the importance of seeking truth. The cool air was beginning to subside, and a warm summer breeze was on the horizon. The sleepy town was preparing for its summer metamorphosis. The townspeople getting ready to depart to make way for their summer travelers. But when they returned next fall, they would be returning to a place of peace. As Mike and I prepared to leave Driftwood Bay, forever changed by our encounter with the spirit, we carried with us a profound sense of fulfillment. We had played a part in uncovering the truth helping a tormented soul find peace and igniting the town's rebirth. The memory of Driftwood Bay will forever be etched in our hearts, a reminder of the power of compassion that can even overcome the darkest of shadows.
I'm Christopher Feinstein. And this is Haunted American History. <laughs>